Pints and Pies podcast is the perfect wrestling podcast. There's a guy named Hal and there's Daniel and this guy Mike Eagle is there as well. Tights and Pies podcast. Tights and Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of Tights and Fights. My name is Julian Burrell and we're doing things a little differently this time around. Uh, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, it is the final day of the Max Fun Drive. If you haven't already, hurry and sign up to contribute and get access to those amazing gifts that we've been offering for the last two weeks, MaximumFun.org. Slash donate. Now, on that note, I thought it would be really fun to do something a little different from usual. I know that it has been a very busy, busy couple of weeks with Max Fun Drive, WrestleMania, NXT TakeOver, all of that. But in honor of how great everyone has been at supporting Tights and Fights and at showing us some love on social media, at signing up to become a member and to get all those bonus gifts, I figured it would be great to have an extra second episode just like we did last week. We're going to have two interviews with some great people in the wrestling world. Now, later on, I'm going to chat with someone named Chris Bornet. He recently made a documentary called Lady Wrestler, The Amazing Untold Story of African-American Women in the Ring, which is awesome, and I'll tell you all about it in a bit. But first, HBO recently aired a documentary about Andre the Giant. He's one of the most important stars in the wrestling world, and this is one of the first films to explore why. Seventy-seven pounds, the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. He was stronger than all of us. He was bigger than all of us. He kept everybody in line. He was the guy. Box Brown is someone who made another chronicle of the eighth wonder of the world. It was in a comic book, though, and it was entitled Andre the Giant Life and Legend. He's going to tell us more about what he learned as he was writing and drawing this book. Box Brown, welcome to Tights and Fights. It's so great to have you here. Ah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. You know, I've, I'm kind of wondered because the 70s and 80s were full of colorful, iconic wrestling characters. I feel like it was one of those eras that was kind of built on people putting on airs and kind of projecting themselves out there. Why did you decide to make an Andre the Giant uh, biography versus a biography for one of the other characters that was around at the time? Uh, you know, it's because, um, you know, I, I was uh, watching a lot of shoot interviews with wrestlers and, and just reading about uh, old wrestling. I had like got, gotten back into wrestling after a period away. And in the time that I had been gone, um, all these wrestlers I remembered from when I was a kid had like done all these, cape, you know, no, no kayfabe interviews. Yeah. And everyone had a story about Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. And they were all like unbelievable stories, like <laughs> like they were truly like they were real, but like they well, you could barely believe them because the guy was so uh, such an unbelievable guy. You yeah, know? and they were they would be stories that would like be so out there that you wouldn't your first instinct is to not believe them, but then it's like, well, why would anybody lie about something like that at the same time? Right. Even in like the under in the guise of like the pro wrestling world. Because, you know, crazy stuff happens in the pro wrestling world, uh, mm-hmm. even if you're not even if you're not Andre the Giant. Yeah. And then you add this crazy concept of this enormous guy, Andre the Giant, and the type of character and, and uh, guy that he was, and, and just 
throw it into the pro wrestling world and it just becomes even more uh, amazing and and these things become legendary and they become legends mm-hmm. you know it's larger than life and and all these things but you know there's a real guy underneath yeah and it's it's not like with a guy like say hulk hogan for example like he he's a guy who you know he's he's acting crazy and he's like you know like getting energetic when he's in the ring and he's a big dude but at the end of the day like when if if someone like him or Randy Savage or something wants to turn it off, they can just wear street clothes and just go walking around and you'd think he's just another big dude. But with Andre, it's like, there's a, like a legitimate seven foot tall man who's, you know, walking down the street and he's just going to draw eyes, even if he's not wrestling in the middle of a ring. Even before he was famous, Mm -hmm. that was the case. You know what I mean? Like Andre the giant as a non-famous person walking down the street in Paris still got a t- drew a ton of eyes because he was just a huge guy and, and you have to go through your whole life like that you know mm-hmm. it's it's something you know it's a disability and people don't think of it that way people don't think of it uh in in that way because he's a he was huge you know <laughs> it was yeah. like you think of it as like a super superhuman thing but he was disabled you know he there was no and there was no like access for him you know like there was chair no chairs for him to sit in you know mm-hmm. uh, no be- beds for him to sleep in, like those like silverware he couldn't <laughs> use, like a clothing he had to get like special, you know, uh, um, custom made for himself. Right. I, I I almost feel like if he was any less, you know, rich and famous and well known, he probably would have had an even more difficult life than he had because the only reason he was able to get some accommodations for himself was because he was literally Andre the Giant, the most, like, probably at one point, one of the most famous people in the world, and people of who, who's going to, like, turn down him as, like, a clothing client or whatever, or anything like that. Right, yeah. Well, sure, I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, it would have been, you know, t- a lot more difficult for him if he wasn't uh, wealthy and mm-hmm. a celebrity, mm-hmm. but it was a tough life for Andre, you know, and he did a, imagine, I, I think about how how cranky i get when i travel um and how cranky everybody gets when they travel because you're trapped in this little tiny place space now imagine that as andre the giant and you're doing it 300 times a year right like he went to he went back and forth to japan like four times in a summer one time like (laughs) like an incredible incredible amount of times you know it's like you know had the young bucks are always going back and forth to japan it's it's that but under the giant yeah size. you know he was basically the size of like two young bucks like you know put together so. yeah exactly <laughs> and you know what's um one of the things that you actually show in your book is one scene where someone you know like i feel like a lot of fans do this woman is coming up with her her kid and is saying hey like like andre i want an autograph and andre kind of rebuffs her he's you know and he's naturally just tired he probably you know i'm sure there were lots of times where he just got done wrestling and you know the last thing you really want to do after a wrestling match is have an unscheduled meetup with a fan and even though you love the fans and everything and what you do and that's part of the business it's like can I just get a moment of peace where I just yeah. sit down and eat? Like, I just want to eat dinner. Like, I don't feel like talking to anyone right now. I just want to be, I just yeah. want to eat, you know? You know, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, give me two seconds to myself. I, you know, I, somebody told me after the book came out, I had, I got to hear a million more Andre stories. I probably could have got in the book. <laughs> um, because if people tell me they're, they're, you're the Andre the giant guy, and they, I have an Andre the giant story, you know? <laughs> 
And a lot of the people would see him in, in airports. Like, you know, that's like where, you know, P, uh, these wrestlers, wrestlers like spend half their lives like in airports. Right. So that's always where you run into wrestlers. Um, so uh, he ran into Andre the Giant and, and Andre the Giant had a sticker on his luggage that said, uh, I'm not deaf. I'm just ignoring you. <laughs> and and he said, like, that's how he would be. You know, he would just sometimes they would come up to him and he would just stand there really stoically and just ignore them. You know? <laughs> As you can imagine, like their head is like three feet below his head. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, you could, you know no way you could look him in the eye anyway. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially later on in his career, uh, too, he was also, uh, uh, in a lot of pain. Yeah. And uh, Terry Funk talks about being in pain. And you walk around in pain and you're just like angry. Yeah. Because you're, you're something, something hurts. You're just short with people. It's like when you're hungry or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so that was like a lot of his life, especially, you know, later on. Right. And, you know, what's funny to me is that, you know, you hear people who have just wrestled, even if you're as safe a wrestler as you possibly can be, it takes a toll on you. Just falling on your back a lot takes it will take a mm-hmm. toll on you. And mm-hmm. if the fact that Andre's physical attributes that brought him to such heights and made him such a, a famous figure in wrestling, I feel like they compounded everything, like the natural pain that wrestling would bring on. Like he's at while he's also having all these back issues, he's just his body won't stop growing, and he's just getting more and more hurt as a result of all of that too. Yeah, all I mean. Uh, all these guys have knee problems and 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 back problems and, and everything from it's like uh, you know it's like going you know they say it's like being in a car wreck every night um, yeah one other thing that uh that that I kind of really liked about your book when I first read it is I feel like whenever a post-mortem biography is put out there it's kind of really easy to kind of deify the subject um you know basically portray them as someone who was a perfect person always did the right thing was a very gentle person and you know the idea of the gentle giant especially with andre Mm -hmm. is a really enticing one but you actually kind of expose andre warts and all with a lot of Mm -hmm. what you do in your book like he could be a bully he could be like you know kind of like casually racist and he just wouldn't even think about it It, how important Mm -hmm. was that to you as you were as you were uh, writing the book you know, I had to, you know, when you start looking at all these stories and stuff, it's like you want to create a rounded individual. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, nobody's perfect. And, and the, the idea is that, you know, um, was not a, a superhero. Mm-hmm. It was not Superman. Yeah. You know, he was he was uh, just like anybody else. And he had an extraordinary set of circumstances. Yeah. But he was a human being. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the, the best illustration of him kind of being a, a bit of a jerk and knowing like he could kind of get away with it was the the altercation that he had with uh, with Bad News Brown, <laughs> where, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of just drops the N word casually while he's joking around with someone on a on a bus and they're just, you know, going to a hotel. Uh, Bad News Brown naturally is just going to take that some sort of way. And he gets kind of upset and he's ready to fight Andre the Giant. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy hearing that story, and 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 I I always think about bad news because he was so like legit, you know. Yeah. He was like he was might as well have been like the Brock Lesnar of his day, like you know he was that seasoned of a fighter. <laughs> uh, 
And, you know, when he came into WWE, it was like such a stereotype yeah. gimmick or whatever. And But bad news, when he talks about that, when he would talk about that story, like in his shoot interview, he forgave Andre. He really did. Yeah. And because he was like casual, he was very lighthearted about the whole story. Yeah. You know, he would, he, he told the whole thing as, as, you know, as he, best as he remembered. And he's like, I was fired up, man. I was fired up. But then later on, you know, we talked and, you know, we got over it and we became buddies again or whatever. Yeah. Later on, stories came out too from um, um, the the guy who portrayed Kamala. Uh, you know, he had problems with Andre too. Mm. Well, um, what were those? I don't, I don't think I've ever heard it. Like, I usually, Kamala these days, I'm actually kind of sad, like his circumstances. So oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. never actually, what, what, I, what was his experience with Andre? He felt that Andre was racist against him and, okay. and, uh, and he uh, he says he carried a gun in his tights, like in case in case like while he was wrestling, in case Andre like did something. <laughs> That's the, literally the old like, what are you gonna do next? Pull out a gun and shoot him? Well, actually, yes, I am. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time, if some when somebody dies, all all these good stories come out. Yeah, we can examine his life as a whole and view him as uh, impartial viewers. Mm. You know, the last major. Even though Andre kept wrestling after this, I feel like this was, I think he would even admit that it was kind of the pinnacle of his wrestling career was that WrestleMania three match against, uh, against Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And what was it like, uh, what was your experience with that match? Like as a fan? And then when you decided you had to portray it inside of, uh, inside of your book. Look at all this these people. Is the main event of the evening. It is for the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight championship that was like the only thing they ever told us about andre mm-hmm. you know they would be like andre the giant he was a legend and and hulk hogan body slammed him yeah. you know yeah that was like all we ever really knew mm-hmm. I, I remember when when i as a kid i remember like uh i, I don't remember watching it because I, I got into wrestling a, about a year or two later like in wrestlemania 5 yeah ish yeah but i remember like when it happened and like the next day kids coming into school and being like Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant. Everybody was like, no way. You know, it's a, it's a 12 minute match. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like really short. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, Andre was extremely limited. Um, right. Whenever I watch it, I'm, I'm impressed really with how much they did mm-hmm. with how limited Andre was and how like long they stretched the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole stare down in the beginning. Yeah. Like, they're like really trying to stretch the match as long as they possibly could. Yeah. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Look at the size of the giant. I mean, Hogan is six foot eight. Andre is seven foot five. Look at the look of disdain on the face of Andre. And it's like, it strikes uh. me that like, I feel like Hogan's best matches were kind of the ones where he could really just get away with like the idea of like oh my gosh this moment that I'm witnessing right now like as a fan you're like oh my gosh wow this is really happening I feel like like that's a a certain quality that Rock versus Hogan had at Wrestlemania 18 you know just that kind Mm -hmm. of he he could literally just get off on like the charisma versus like I have to put on like a technical classic right now right I mean it's funny like when you watch Hulk Hogan's Japan matches and he does like all different kinds of moves. Yeah, a little catch, and a little bit of like uh, you know, sliding around type of stuff that he actually could do if he wanted to. Right. But it's like he didn't really need to do it as as uh like the American Hulk Hogan guy. And yeah. he, and 
he's probably better off not doing yeah. it really yeah i mean like he, it was unnecessary mm. it would have looked weird really yeah right exactly especially especially it would have been hilarious to see some catch on andre but <laughs> yeah like hulk hogan was like the classic i mean this was like in the 80s like reagan like american dude mm-hmm. that like just could beat you up like bad with like you know, anything he did would really beat you up bad. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes just the pure the power of his presence. I, I like the 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 whole idea of the you thing that like the audience always does whenever yeah. he's firing up was like it's literally points, just yeah. like oh my gosh, I can't beat this like this inhuman force that's in front of me. And I guess that's sort of yes. what made the slam bigger was the idea of. Oh my gosh, Hulkamania can conquer anything, even the unconquerable, which Andre the Giant right. very much was. He's hooking up, Jesse. I don't know if he's got enough left in him. That adrenaline can do wonders. You know, it was great. I mean, it really was. I mean, you know, the match from a technical perspective doesn't really, you know, it's just like whatever, but it is. It's this huge spectacle. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's, and it is kind of amazing when he body slams Andre because it's like you really. At that point, couldn't even I couldn't even picture what it would look like, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a couple more questions for you uh, before I let you go here. What uh, do you think that uh, Andre the Giant would be as big of a sensation today as he was when he was, you know, in the seventies and eighties, or do you think that that's an example of like that that particular time period was just meant to consume someone who was who had his attributes um i think if you look at andre when he first started he had a lot of the athleticism Mm -hmm. that uh that would be appreciated today yeah especially as like a big huge guy like that it would be like amazing kind of (laughs) you know just as amazing as it was back then sure um i don't know about like his later on uh you know like the andre the giant of like the mid to late 80s that was like slow moving and kind of like lumbering around and had to always hold on to the ropes and all this yeah you know this is like from past 1985 or something like that uh but before then i think he would have before that when he was able to move and stuff and before he got too heavy Mm -hmm. i think he still would be amazing and be an a, a something to be seen for sure yeah and knowing how horrible wrestling fans can be sometimes i mean <laughs> i think people would have very little patience for a big guy who who was kind of slow who felt they felt was slowing everybody else down these days um i gotta look at um the great Kali. or oh, gosh I mean, like, yeah or it, even the know? big show who like is still you know pretty it looks more fit than he has in his entire life people still are chanting please retire to the poor guy every time <laughs> he's just trying to go out there so yeah maybe maybe you know andre it, it, like it, i'm glad he got to be appreciated throughout his entire career versus what we have what fans are like now right yeah I, yeah that's true and uh, one final thing, I know uh, I mentioned it at the top about uh, the uh, the HBO documentary that came out. Are you? Do you think you're gonna? You think you're gonna learn anything that you didn't know, or do you feel like, you know, with how much you, your book came out like a, a a while ago now, do you kind of feel like you've learned everything there is to know about Andre, or do you think there's gonna be some like tidbits in here that you're actually going to like be like, oh wow, how about that? I don't know. I mean, I think that there will be, I think there will definitely be images and video that we haven't seen for sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, 
And yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's stories that I haven't heard. They got Vince there. <laughs> um, he's got tons of stories. Yeah. It, it's kind of a shame that they didn't, they were unable to get like Bobby Heenan before he died and yeah. Blackjack Mulligan also before he died. Yeah. All these super um, important people in his career. Yeah. Like they kind of all kind of uh, died right at the, uh, right at the end there. But I know they talked to like Tim White, who was his, you know, um, who, 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 traveled with him a lot i think he was like a a good person to talk to that understood andre in a way yeah so i'm really excited for it every time i see uh advertising for it i get like super stoked i'm like <laughs> the i'm happy to uh and excited to watch it they reach out to you to talk to you for the documentary uh i wasn't filmed on camera or anything but i did talk to the producers oh, okay. a little bit when they when uh they first started um doing like research for the for the book okay at least they uh, actually gave you they some were like, respect that way <laughs> Yeah, they were like, if you could have talked to anybody, it would have been because they had, you know, so much more, uh, so many more assets. And, and oh, well, gee, they just wanted they just wanted you to do half of the job for them. Then, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was uh, it's cool. You got any I phone numbers that you could to... share? You got any uh, people you could talk to? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm excited to I'm excited to see. It. Yeah, definitely, me too. Uh, Box Brown's book uh, about Andre the Giant is entitled Andre the Giant. Life and Legend. Uh, tell me about your new book, and also tell me where everybody else can find you online. Okay, so my new book um, is called "Is This Guy for Real?" Um, and it's about Andy Kaufman and his. Uh, it's about his pro wrestling career. I really think that he got into comedy to get into pro wrestling in a way. <laughs> it was kind of a way to get in. Yeah, <laughs> and there's just a lot of pro wrestling, and then I talked to Jim Cornette and a lot of different wrestling people, and and Bob Zamuda and all. You know, all these different Andy Kaufman people. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Fox Brown. All right, now before we go on to our next interview, I just want to remind you, if you are listening to this on Friday, April 13th, it is the final day of the Max Fund Drive. Yes, we have come to the end. Now, if you want to become a Max Fund member for as little as $5 a month and keep tights and fights going for all of 2018, now is the time to do it. You've just got to go to MaximumFun.org donate and select the level of contribution that works best for you. We've got all kinds of gifts at every level, including our special bonus episode where Hal, Danielle, and Lindsay watched and gave their thoughts on WrestleMania X7. In fact, let's hear a little bit of that right now. At this point, uh, Regal was the commissioner of the mm. WWF. So he that was prepping him for his run as commissioner it's of NXT. Really good commissioner. Now. He's the best. Yeah, great authority I'm figure. Not just saying yeah. that because he's my dad. Uh, you know what? He's great. I appreciate that you're able to look at your family members objectively. I think that's wonderful. Can Goldust be my dad and then our dads fight? Oh yeah, but like they love each other, but they can't help it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I, think that's I do want Goldust to be my dad, and the Goldust. way that he treats his daughter, his, his granddaughter. Oh <sighs> yeah, please, anyway, Goldust. I need think of the tutorials he could do with the makeup. He's everything at once. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> dad versus dad. <laughs> my Pretty dad much. is big show. <laughs> well, my dad is big, so <laughs> well, you gotta clean up your room to, 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 and cut he the grass tonight, you. dog. <laughs> yep, we're covering what might be the greatest WrestleMania of all time, as only we can do it. 
If you've wanted to know what the team thinks about it, that is the place to hear it. And if you've ever wanted your very own wrestling nickname and want to hear Mike, Hal, and Danielle read it off for the rest of the Nation of Conversation, all you've got to do is become a contributor at the $20 a month level and then DM it to me at Tights Fights on Twitter or at my email, julian at maximumfun.org. Either one of those two methods work. Just take a screenshot of it, send it to me to show you've contributed at $20 a month, and I will write you a great wrestling nickname for the team to read off later on. Now, at $20 a month, you not only get the wrestling nickname, the bonus episode, but you also get a special Maximum Fun cookbook filled with tons of recipes and a special enamel pin from one of the many shows in our network. It's a lot of stuff, and you deserve it because you have helped us out so well. But that is not the only level. You can go higher. You can go lower. Choose whatever's best for you. It's been a great drive so far, guys, and I'm so excited to see you guys close us out so strong. Show us some love. Please, please, please go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to become a MaxFun member today. A few weeks ago, WWE announced plans to memorialize the fabulous Moolah in a WrestleMania Battle Royal. Fans and mainstream media quickly pointed out how Moolah's problematic history makes her unworthy of such a major distinction, and that led to a lot of people, including us on the show, lamenting how few famous, non-problematic women wrestlers there are who have been recognized by history. But filmmaker Chris Bornet is looking to rectify that. He's got a new documentary he just finished entitled Lady Wrestler, The Amazing Untold Story of African-American Women in the Ring. Chris Bornet, it's great to have you on Tights and Fights. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here on Tights and Fights. Thank you, Julian. How did you first learn about the black women wrestlers in the 50s, 60s and beyond? Because I feel like that's something as someone who's a big wrestling fan, that is something that I never even I wouldn't even know where to begin to look for that kind of information. Yeah, it's interesting. I wasn't looking for the information either. I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, where many of these women lived and got their start in wrestling. And my first job in journalism was at a an African-American newspaper And I actually never heard of these women until a friend of mine who grew up with one of the women who works in public relations actually introduced me to Ethel Johnson, who was one of the first African-American female wrestlers. Yeah. So that's how I found out about her. And by interviewing her for the um, Columbus Daily Newspaper, the Columbus Dispatch, that's how that's that led me to um, to discover that there were other women like her. There were, in fact, dozens of other women like her. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So mm-hmm. I take it you were not um, a wrestling fan or were you or had you just like had you been following, you know, mainstream WWE type stuff or was this like a whole new world to you in general? Well, I was interestingly enough, I was a wrestling fan when I was in middle school in the mm-hmm. 80s. I was really a big fan of um, Rowdy Roddy Piper and mm-hmm. the WWE. TBS, like the first incarnation of the uh, WWF. Yeah. But after I got into high school, I sort of outgrew wrestling and I hadn't thought about it for years until my friend Terry Anderson introduced me to Ethel Johnson. So I'm not what you would call like um, a wrestling fan per se. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you uh, you definitely do have a a big name in here that I think a lot of uh, people would know. You have Roddy Roddy Piper. Uh, in the film explaining what he knew about a lot of these women. And, you know, I I was really, I was kind of impressed that he was willing to speak on something this uh, significant to a lot of people like, you know, race relations and women's uh, uh, place in the industry and the discrimination that they've faced. 
because I don't really ever think about how wrestlers um, will respond to like real world issues because sometimes I'm afraid yeah. of what the answer could be and I'm going to find out that, <laughs> that these characters yeah. that I really love are going to end up being kind of bigoted. <laughs> but right, he, right. I, I actually thought he gave some really um, fairly reasoned responses and, and, and pretty intelligent stuff about how hard these women had it. They had to perform and hit harder and they were rougher on each other than we were because there was so much male dominance and they were always treated as just, you know, flash, where these women would, were really trying to get over as the guys were and being world champion and recognizing their talents. I met Rowdy Roddy Piper, actually not through a wrestling convention, but through a horror sci-fi convention. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just happened to be browsing online and came across this convention called Days of the Dead that's held every um, July in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And I had no reason to believe that he wouldn't be forthcoming. So, I mean, I had never met him before. Like I said, I was a fan of his when I was a kid. Yeah. And I just I just drove, which is about a four-hour drive from Columbus to Indianapolis, just approached him at his autograph table, explained uh, the subject matter of the documentary. He said, yeah, I actually remember Ramona Isbell, one of the, one of the wrestlers <laughs> you're talking about. So he said, you know, I'd be happy to, to speak with you. And he was amazingly forthcoming. And like you said, his views were very progressive. Yeah. Yeah. He spoke about race relations and how women and African-Americans have had to work twice as hard to prove themselves in the uh, wrestling industry. So, yeah, he was he was really, really easy to talk to and, and, and very forthcoming and candid. Yeah. And one of the things that as I was watching uh, your film that struck mm -hmm. me was that these women, like I was expecting like to hear a lot about those, uh, the difficulties as far as race was concerned and as far as being women was concerned, because I'm, I'm yeah. you know, I'm sure that they were facing a lot of that stuff. But I was also kind of impressed that a lot of these women were, they got to do some really cool things yeah. because they were wrestlers. They were traveling. They got to earn fans all over the world, spend some weeks in Japan touring, a lot of things that I think fans are familiar with. Uh, can you, you tell me about what are some of the things you heard as far as that was concerned? Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with their promoter, Bill. Billy Wolf, he was very, even though he sort of was a complex man where in some ways he empowered women and in other ways he exploited women, mm -hmm. he, he was ahead of his time in the sense that he was really progressive about racial views. As uh, Jeff Lean, um, the author of The Queen of the Ring about Billy Wolf's wife, Mildred, who was, you know, the first women's world wrestling champion, mm -hmm. talks about Billy Wolf was inspired by Jackie Robinson and how Jackie huh. Robinson integrated Major League Baseball. So when he started recruiting black women into wrestling, he saw no reason why they shouldn't go all over the world, just like his other uh, female wrestlers sure. and wrestle in places like Latin America and Japan and Australia and Montreal and different parts of Canada. Yeah. So if it wasn't if it wasn't for Billy Wolf just being an excellent promoter and I, I wouldn't exactly call him colorblind, but he just kind of saw that women's wrestling could have an appeal with putting women of different races into the ring and thought that would appeal to fans. And, and fortunately it did. If nothing else, at least he probably at least saw that he could make some decent profit here and help make other people some decent profit there. So that'll, that'll exactly. cure a lot of, a lot of prejudice <laughs> that anybody might have. Yeah. His favorite color was green. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Right. And one of the things, like, I'm glad you brought up Billy Wolf because this guy, like, just like hearing the description that people were talking about, the fact that they called him diamond Billy Wolf was 
amazing yeah. to me. Like some of the things that like the way he was wearing a diamond ring and he had diamond pin <laughs> on his shirt. Like this was a guy yeah. who clearly like I feel like he would make Vince McMahon, the owner of WWF and WWE <laughs> now, kind of blush with the way that yeah. he would just kind yeah. of flaunt a lot of what he did. I believe he was the self-proclaimed Maharaja of, of the business of, of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I think that that term, the self-proclaimed Maharaja of Muscle, uh-huh. that was actually a, a wrestling publication back in the probably the 30s or 40s when Billy Wolf was first starting out in the business and, oh, and his his wrestling promotion business was starting to take off. Although I'm sure he, he had a huge ego and he, as you said, he was very flashy. So he would he would not have hesitated from calling himself the Maharaja of Muscle. <laughs> but yeah, being being flashy and being um kind of egotistical i mean look at the wrestler look at wrestlers themselves they yeah. have to be that way that when they're when they're you have to kind of put across bravado so that was very much part of billy wolf's image and he was a former wrestler himself so i think he kind of got that tendency to for self-promotion from starting out as a wrestler he saw that you have to put yourself out there you have to promote yourself you can't come across as as meek and mild-mannered and and be successful in the wrestling industry sure so yeah he was definitely very self-promotional billy really wanted to cultivate all of his women so that they weren't called woman wrestlers but they were called lady wrestlers and i can remember it on some of my pictures it said now, one of the other things that uh, a lot of these women that you, were your subjects in this movie faced was the uh, was that they were kind of going out and being entertainers, but they would face a lot of discrimination from the from the people that they were trying to entertain. Like your job in wrestling is to turn a crowd a certain way, whether that's as a good guy or a bad guy. And I feel like because they were black women in the ring, that like you know hatred from the fans felt like it was going in a really ugly direction, a direction that that was putting them in real danger. Yeah, I don't know if the term hatred is is I mean, that's kind of a strong word. I think it was more like the fans were just a product of their environment. So, Mm -hmm. for example, Ethel Johnson talks about a match in Tuscaloosa where um, the the white citizens council of the town was threatening to to hang her and another African-American female wrestler. So I don't know. I don't, she didn't really specify if that was the fans themselves or if this so-called white citizens council, which was a form of the Ku Klux Klan, Mm -hmm. they weren't actually, they weren't actually wrestling fans. They just happened to hear that black women were coming into town and then threatened them. And then Ethel actually describes another incident in Mexico where, um, overzealous fans threw, um, broken glass into the ring and stabbed her, her older sister, Babs Wingo, who was also a wrestler in the leg with broken glass. I don't think that was due to racism so much as just being an overzealous fan who just kind of got carried away with all the just big mob mentality. It's like, you know, you just wrestling is kind of, that's the, one of the beautiful things and the terrible things about it is that (laughs) you can get swept away in it and you lose all sense of perspective. And it's sort of just like a, it's like, a, it's like a consistently really great story being told in in like a sport, like an actual uh, unfixed sport. You know, it's easy yeah. to get swept away in that. Yeah, I mean, you see that with other sports. I mean, hockey fans they want to see fights break out on the ice. I right. It's just it comes with the territory of of fans getting really worked up and and really wanting to see see a lot of action. And if they don't get the show, so to speak, as they that they want, you know, sometimes fans could get out of hand even back in the day. 
And, you know, going back to Roddy Roddy Piper, um, mm-hmm. what, some of his comments that were made a little bit later in the movie was as far as yeah. why some of these performers were being kept down as women. He said that uh, the public sort of is not programmed to accept uh, black women or women in general as the main attraction in a wrestling show. You know, it's just the, right. that's just something that they can't um, that's just more difficult for them to accept. When I also saw that uh, that a lot of these women were drawing crowds, like it wasn't like uh, you know that it's without the resources of the WWF and all of that, it's kind of hard to tell how far they would have gone. But yeah, it, it, they were drawing big crowds. Like they, these weren't this wasn't just like a bunch of basement shows in some empty warehouses. This was a these were these women were big deals. Yeah, I mean they're they're one of the uh, people I interview in the documentary is a wrestling fan from Detroit, Kenneth Clark, and he talks about seeing these women wrestle at Cobo Arena. Cobo Arena, like you said, is not some underground basement venue. It's, mm-hmm. you know, a huge mainstream venue. There's a lot of black wrestlers, male wrestlers out here. I can just bunch of them. As far as the um, the women, yeah, I think of sexism. I don't think so, a big part. I guess they were thinking they couldn't draw a big crowd like the male wrestlers could. These women definitely had a large fan base. It's just that a lot of the promoters were reticent to book women as the main attraction because they didn't even even promoters like Billy Wolf and another promoter named Al Haft, who was based in Columbus. Even they had reservations about um, promoting women's wrestling too often. There's there's I quote a letter from Al Haft in the documentary. Yeah. It says, I don't like to feature too much ladies wrestling. It is, after all, a man's sport. So uh. even even the promoters who were open to working with women wrestlers still had that mindset of, you know, women are kind of secondary to the men. W- women can be used as promotional kind of window dressing, but they're not the main attraction. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's that bias that a lot of the women's face even though they they had large fan bases yeah even when you're even when you're producing tangible results it's just when the people in charge are deciding that you're not you're not worth it they're just not gonna they're not gonna give you more opportunities which is a shame yeah and and i and i always draw analogies to uh to the movie industry because there have been countless movies with predominantly black cast most most recently black panther that make tons of money and Mm. make money overseas but hollywood studios constantly perpetuate the myth that movies with predominantly black casts don't make money and and they they especially won't make money to a foreign audience that isn't into black culture so to speak so yeah a lot of a lot of these myths are self-perpetuating because you know the powers that be have this belief that women or minorities can't be the main attraction and that that just isn't the case yeah what are your plans for uh, for putting this movie out there for others to see and getting the story out there more yes my plan is to we actually just had a big debut screening here in columbus mm-hmm. at the wexner center for the arts which was really generous and in, in providing all the post-production facilities for the uh for the movie like sound mixing and editing and everything so we had a really good turnout oh cool and yeah so the the plan is to have screenings in other cities and then eventually release it on a streaming service like amazon as well as dvd Mm -hmm. so i definitely i think it's a story that people have really wrestling fans have definitely expressed an interest in and i definitely would like as many not only wrestling fans but just people who are interested in history in general to be able to see it 
Uh, so, Chris, I mean, uh, is there any other place where can people uh, where can people catch up with you online? Where can they uh, uh, learn if the movie's going to be screened in a city near them? Uh, to plug your stuff right now for me. Sure, they can find out all about the movie at LadyWrestlerMovie.com. Uh, they can find me at at Chris Borne, B-O-U-R-N-E-A, on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, there's Lady Wrestler Movie on Facebook. And also I'm on Facebook at Chris Borne Writer and also Instagram at Chris Borne Writer. Chris Borne is the creator of the documentary film Lady Wrestler, the amazing untold story of African-American women in wrestling. We are going to be doing our best to push it out on all of our channels as well to let you know whenever it might be coming near you, so be on the lookout for that. Chris, thanks so much for coming on to Tights and Fights. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Julian. I really appreciate it. That does it for this special bonus episode of Tights and Fights. I hope you guys enjoyed this extra special something in honor of Max Fun Drive. Remember, you can still sign up at MaximumFun.org slash donate for as little as $5 to keep Tights and Fights going all year long and earn all sorts of bonus gifts. This show would not be possible without our members, so thank you, thank you so much for helping us out. This week, your host was me, Julian Burrell. Senior producer at Maximum Fun is Laura Swisher. Keep up with us all week long at facebook.com slash groups slash tights fights and at tights fights on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back next week for even more, you guessed it, wrestling. Tights and Fights Podcast. Tights and Fights. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.